You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. I it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's story is from Susanna Calhoun. The story was recorded in June 2013 at DRAM in New York City. The theme of the night was Lost. I was going to visit a girl named Julie um, in the hospital, but I had never met her before. Um, I was a little bit I was a little bit worried about it, um, but a, a doctor had asked me to go visit her, actually a man named Suhel Najjar, who was very close to my heart, so I agreed to do it. And I walked from my office in Midtown to NYU Medical Center, and along the way, I stopped at a stationery store, and there I, I picked up a few, about a half dozen balloons, and they had, some had smiley faces on them, get well soon. I mean, they were really ugly, bright yellow. And I walked with them downtown, and I was hitting pedestrians, and someone actually batted one out of the way very meanly. Um, but so I made it to NYU. I was very proud of myself with these balloons. And the guard there took one look at me and, and confiscated them. Apparently, NYU doesn't allow balloons. So... Finally, I, um, I, I made my way up to the 12th floor, which was very familiar to me, and I wandered down to room 1214, and I saw a man in the, in the door, an, a, an older man, a middle-aged man, and I immediately recognized him as Julie's father, though I had never met him either. I could tell just by that kind of helpless, desperate look in his eyes that this was someone going through something very deeply, a deep struggle. So I, I introduced myself to him, and he told me a little bit about Julie's story. She was 24, one day, vibrant, living on her own in New York City, started a new job, everything going her way. And the next, he said, she's this. And he pointed to the, the hospital room. He led me in, and I saw her before she saw me. She was lying on her back in the bed, staring up at the ceiling. Her, her hair had EEG wires coming out. And she was staring up without any expression. And I walked closer to the bed, and she looked... She kind of lowered her eyes very slowly in my direction. And she started to say, repeat over and over again, I can't believe you came. And I was really surprised that she actually even recognized me, because as she tried to move her body, her body wouldn't comply. And she couldn't actually move herself out of the bed, but she could recognize me even though she'd never met me before. So I, I actually approached her bed, and a nurse helped her up out of bed because she wanted to hug me. So she went for you know, I, I was kind of holding her up, and I could feel the ribs in her back, and I could smell the glue in her hair from the EEG wires, and, you know, I could 
feel her skin. It was so hot to the touch. And she kept saying to me over again, I can't believe you came. I can't believe you came. And I was, as I was looking at her, but really at myself, I realized I couldn't believe it either because really just three years before this experience, I had been like Julie. I was 24 years old, living on my own in New York City, as, working as a journalist. And the next day, I was this. And for me, it started with an, a, an obsession with, that I had bed bugs. And this was 2009. And I don't think that that was that unusual. I think everyone probably in this room at one point thought they had bed bugs. But what, dis- what distinguished me from that was I actually had an exterminator come in, and he actually told me, I don't think you have bed bugs, but I insisted that he exterminate anyway, which was unusual. Um, but following after that, I, I, the other kind of strange things started to happen. I had numbness on one side of my body, which was very disconcerting to the point where I actually went to a doctor. And I, I'm not really the kind of person that goes to doctors often, so it was, it was worrisome. And he did some lab tests, he did an MRI, and he said, you know, I don't see any evidence of anything wrong here. I think you're probably suffering from mono, which I thought was kind of funny at 24 to have mono, and I thought, oh, God. And a lot of my coworkers made fun of me about it. Um, And then from there, you know, I I was tired, I was lethargic, but I, you know, I kept going to work, and, and, you know, things kind of progressed from there. At one point, I I was at at work, and I realized I was sitting at my desk, and I couldn't stop myself from crying. I was crying hysterically. I mean, I couldn't even try to control it. I mean, the worst, deepest despair that I've ever felt in my life. But then 30 seconds later, I was no longer sad. I was the happiest I've ever felt in my life. And I thought, how stupid is it that I was crying? And I wanted to get up. I wanted to get bigger stories. I went to my editor. I said, you need need to give me the big, hard-hitting investigative pieces. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And so at that point... I was actually worrying myself, and I was worrying those around me. And my editor actually recalled an an old reporter that he used to work with that he had cared about a lot who had started coming in wearing bright, inappropriate makeup and acting bizarrely. And she was later diagnosed with schizophrenia. And he thought, Susanna reminds me of of that person. Then the following day, walking from my apartment in Hell's Kitchen to Midtown, I was walking through Times Square... And the lights were so bright that they hurt me. I mean, they hurt my eyes. They almost knocked me down. And at that point, I remember going to a a coworker and saying to her, I I think I'm going crazy. I mean, this is something a crazy person says, right? I mean, you know, color's hurting my eyes. It doesn't make any sense. I I tried that day, I, I tried to do an interview with John Walsh from America's Most Wanted and could only stare at him blankly thinking about his decapitated son as the his publicist kind of waved me away. Um, and so all these kind of things started happening. And then that night after this Times Square walk and this John Walsh interview, I had a seizure. So I ended up returning to the doctor who originally had diagnosed me with mono, a man named Dr. Bailey, um, a very well-respected neurologist. And, you know, this was concerning, you know, the seizures. So he gave me some seizure medication, did some more tests, didn't really find anything, sent me to a psychiatrist. Well, meanwhile, I went back to my mom's house and kind of relocated there, and she took care of me. And I kept having seizures, and I kept acting more and more inappropriate. At one point, during an EEG test, I walked out of the room convinced that my mother and my stepfather had made up the whole thing, had hired all of the people as actors, and that they were playing a trick on me, some elaborate, very expensive, actually, trick on me to prove some kind of point. And after that... 
my mom sent me back to, to Dr. Bailey, and he said, you know, I'm sorry, but I think that she's suffering from alcohol withdrawal and stress, and she should just lay off the partying and not go back to work for a while and should be fine. Well, I wouldn't be fine. The next night, my mom was just depleted. I mean, I was, I had, I was an insomniac, and I wasn't, I wasn't eating or sleeping, and she woke up to me staring down at her in her bed, and she thought, okay, I, I need a break. So I went to my father's house. They're, actually, they're divorced in Brooklyn, and that night, while my dad, I actually kicked my dad out of the living room, and he slept upstairs, and at that point, I remember hearing this pound, 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 this sound of fists hitting on a hard object. And in my head, I knew that my dad was beating my stepmother. That's what I believed ardently. And I actually walked. My dad is a Civil War and war fanatic, and he has, like, swords and helmets. And I walked into this kind of war room that he has, and I remember taking out, you know, a sword and looking at the shield completely entranced by the blade and wandering around, and all of a sudden, the, this picture, this painting of a railroad scene came to life, and these tufts of smoke were coming out of the painting. And, you know, and I remember this, he has an Abraham Lincoln bust, believe it or not, and, and, the, and the eyes were following me, and this dollhouse that he made for me when I was little was suddenly haunted. And at that point, I kept hearing that pound, 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 and I, I was certain that he was going to get me next. So I ran to the door and tried to get out, but it was locked. And, I, and I, all of a sudden, I hear my dad's foot down the stairs, and I go, oh, my gosh, he's going to try to get me next. I run into the bathroom, and there's about a two-story drop from his apartment building. And I thought to myself, I can survive this fall. I can make it. But then I looked on the, on the bathroom counter, and my stepmother keeps Buddhas all over the, pla- all over the place, I guess, to counteract the war stuff. But... Um, <laughs> And, and I looked at that Buddha, and it smiled at me, and I decided not to jump and that everything was going to be okay. I spent the next month of my life at NYU Langone Medical Center, and n- no one knew what was wrong with me. And at first, it was believed that I was suffering from some kind of uh, psychiatric condition, and there were many different theories. But eventually, a man named Dr. Suhel Najjar, the same man who treated Julie, came onto my case and, and figured it out, and he found out that I was suffering from um, a recently discovered form of autoimmune encephalitis, which is called anti-NMDA receptor autoimmune encephalitis, which is really hard to say. And basically what, what happens with this disease is your body's immune system attacks the brain's NMDA receptors, which are vital to learning, memory, and behavior. You mess with those NMDA receptors, you get smiling Buddhas, you get seizures. And then later, which happened to me, you start getting catatonia, possibly coma, and possibly death. And luckily, I had not gone that far along because Dr. Najjar had seen me before that happened. So he treated me, and at the time, I was the 217th person in the world to be diagnosed with this disease. It was discovered and named in 2007. Julie, who was, this was, she was diagnosed three years later, did not have a number. You know, they didn't track it in one place anymore. It's now a test that's commercially available. But the experts I've spoken to think that her number probably has four digits. I'm back in Julie's room, and I'm there for about 15 minutes before she just falls apart. I mean, she can't even interact with the environment anymore. She has to go to sleep. I go out to eat with her parents. And at one point in the, in, in, in the meal, they turned to each other, and they said, thank God for Dr. Bailey. And I said, Dr. Bailey? 
Dr. Bailey's the one who said I had alcohol withdrawal. How do you know Dr. Bailey? And they said, when our daughter was in the psychiatric ward, we, we reached out to him and, and presented her case to him. And he said, you know what? You might want to contact a guy named Dr. Najjar. And you, know, you might want to check out autoimmune encephalitis. I read about it in the pages of neurology. He didn't say he had missed a case. He didn't say that he had seen someone with it. But I still feel that it was a tremendous win in my column. I, I feel, okay, I reached this person. You know, he's, he's not a bad guy. He's not a, a bad human being. He, you know, he's a human being, and he erred, and he learned. And I feel really grateful for that. And I know that Julie and her, and her family does too. Now, um, Julie is back living in New York, working again, living on her own, as vibrant as ever. And so I have to say, thank God for Dr. Bailey. Thank you. <laughs> That was Susanna Cahillan. Susanna is the New York Times bestselling author of Brain on Fire, My Month of Madness. She has been an investigative reporter at the New York Post for 10 years, and her work has also been featured in the New York Times, Scientific American, and Glamour UK. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, Aaron Barker, and Ari Daniel Shapiro. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Drom for hosting the show and to Appendicitis for being the worst thing that's happened to me. Thanks for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.